I'm not the only dude in Maine who does this. And it's been my experience that uh, nothing sits out on the side of the road very long here. From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Caroline Ballard, and in this episode, we'll reflect back on the show's first season. And I say we because joining me in the studio is our senior producer, Micah Schweitzer. It's great to have you here today. Hey, thanks for sharing the mic with me. And we should, before we get into reflecting on the season, make a really exciting announcement. And that is that we have taken second place in podcasting from Prindy. That's Public Radio News Directors Incorporated. And that's a national award. Uh, we're very excited about that. But I, I figure, Caroline, because you're actually the show's host, what's your reaction? How does it feel? Oh, it's super exciting. It's pretty validating for all of the hard work that we've been putting in. Of course, it's always validating to hear from listeners. But to now be able to say that it's an award-winning podcast is just super cool. We started this show last August um, after lots of conversation and experimentation. It took about a year even just leading up to that first episode. For our listeners, um, we wanted to share a little bit of that with you. So here is part of our first never-before-heard pilot episode. Philosophically, I sort of divide my roadkill into two separate categories. One is the deer moose category, which is just the acquisition of meat that I really, really like. But then there's also the weird stuff category. Yep. A story about eating roadkill. Roy Hunter lives in Maine. Um, I have a friend who's a part-time police officer in town, and he has a list of people he calls, and I'm on his list. So when you get a call from somebody who says there's something on the side of the road or you see it, what's going through your head? Are you really excited? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited. It's like the little alarm bell goes off because you know that unless you get out there right now, someone else could get it. It's exciting and it's a big rush because somebody else could come along and snag that thing before you even got there. So there's never any guarantee until you have it in the back of your truck and you're driving away with it. So I I feel like when people hear that you're eating roadkill or that people eat roadkill, there's sort of an immediate ew factor for a lot of people. So do you think that's just mental? Why why do we have that? Oh, it's totally mental. So I grew up in a tradition of hunters. And I, like many hunters, learned from my father and my grandfather about proper handling of game. And, you know, we... We field dress it immediately. We tried to get the blood out. We tried to get it cool. We're very meticulous about not contaminating it with this, that, and the other thing. And I learned all that stuff. And I did all that stuff. And now I know that all of that stuff, uh, that, that's just completely unnecessary. You know, the, there's no difference. And all of that delicate handling that hunters do with their game, I mean, that's nice and all, but... Uh, I'm here to tell you that it really doesn't matter very much. But Roy says it's not like he doesn't have standards. You know, I'm not out there with a spatula scraping up the, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody also probably has time standards, too, how long it's been out there. I'm not the only dude in Maine who does this. And it's been my experience that uh, nothing sits out on the side of the road very long here. So you don't ever worry about bacteria or anything? Hey, I'm going to cook it. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> no. No. No, I don't. Uh, every now and then, it's remotely possible that you might get something with a slight uh, unpleasant taste to it. But you can do stuff like make chili out of it or barbecue out of it. And uh, it seems to me that that's what chili and barbecue was invented to do. My theory is that those things were designed to deal with meat that maybe wasn't the freshest. Do you think more people should do this? Do you think a lot of meat goes to waste because oh, people don't need it? Oh, I guess meat? so, you know. But if more people do it, it'll get picked up quicker and it won't, it won't be there when I drive by. So, uh, no, just leave it right on the road. I'll, I'll be along any moment. Okay, so there were some highlights from an early trial run at Human Nature. Apart from Roy's roadkill chili recipe, which we have posted at humannaturepodcast.org, the real takeaway was giving the guest room to really tell their personal stories, making sure that the guest is front and center. You know, Roy really handed us a gift of being so charming and funny. Oh, and, and just that, being a character. Oh, yeah. That really did spur us towards that storytelling mentality. But we should go back even a step before, before we even started making that pilot episode with Roy. The whole idea for the show actually came from you, Caroline. So how did that, I know we were talking, right? I said, we need to come up with some sort of, we as in Wyoming Public Media need to come up with some sort of a program that has, you know, it's from Wyoming, but has national appeal. And you'd been here for what, like two weeks you know, after having just moved here, it was all I felt like I heard people talk about was like, oh, you've got to try this hiking trail or you've got to try this fishing spot or, oh, I can't wait until December when I can finally go skiing again. And coming from a big city, that was totally foreign to me. It was so obvious to me as someone who had just moved here that everything that happens here in Wyoming is so connected to the land and the outdoors and nature. So I was like, well, obviously that's what the show should be about because that is something that's truly Wyoming. Um, it definitely captures so much of the spirit yeah. of the state. Okay, so you had this idea. <laughs> it was obviously a good idea. Then we had a lot of trial and error and we landed on the idea of, of stories about human experiences in nature. And then um, one of our producers at the time came to us with a story about a search and rescue experience in the Rockies. And this is where I feel like the, the show sort of took another step forward. And this is actually mm -hmm. the, the episode that won the award at Prindy. It was a different story because the guy who came in to tell it, Greg Lay, was still really pretty raw about the whole experience. Um, it, it was emotional. And you were sort of thrust into this interview, sort of having a sense of what this story was, but also, uh, you know, you weren't super prepped for it either. What was that like for you? It was interesting because, you know, I was sitting in front of him. And like you said, I didn't have a ton of background. I, I got this sort of, you know, elevator pitch version, 30 seconds. This is what we're going to talk about today before going in. And as I sat down across from him, I could see his face going through all of these different emotions. And I knew it really clicked with me then too, that I had to step back and not just 
think about what my next question would be. As an interviewer, it's an easy trap to fall into to just have your list of questions and sort of fall on it as a crutch. But I think half of my questions in that interview were just, and then what? Or what happened next? And I think that kind of gave him the space to just go forward with it. But um, it took a little bit of holding back on my part, too, um, which is something that is carried forward yeah. in my interviewing style in this show um, and something that we wanted to keep in mind going forward that it worked so well in that it's like, okay, let's try and emulate that for more people who come in and just to give them that, that space. All right, well, let's take a listen to a clip of this episode. We had encountered this woman and she had fallen in this lake and she'd been out there with her partner the wind had capsized their canoe, and they both fell out. So she was able to swim to shore. And she told us that the last time she saw him was when he was clinging to that canoe in the lake. So we had to initiate a search for him. In the morning, I sat down next to her on this rock overlooking the lake. And um, that was the only time that I remember her really talking. She didn't say very much, but she said that she doesn't know how she's gonna get over this. Like, she, she, she recognized that she had to leave at some point, that she would have to go. Um, and you know, she's sitting looking at the lake at this point. And she didn't know how she was supposed to leave knowing that he was still in there. It was, um, <clears throat> I think she didn't know what to say. I think she didn't know what to do. We eventually had to move on. So there was nothing more that we could do. Search and Rescue was there. They took over the medical care for this woman. We thought to ourselves, we could just stay here. Like, we could continue the search. We could keep going and maybe find something. And it would be really important to this person if we did, to this, to this woman, if we could do that. And what else can we do? And we were basically, we were told, but also recognized that there's nothing else that we can do at this point. And walking away felt so, we felt guilty because it's those like, could have or would have or should have kind of feelings in your head that stick around. So that's an excerpt of episode three. Micah, you actually wrote a blog post about what different understandings of nature started to emerge as the show got underway. I started to notice that you'd have an episode like Greg's where I, I remember in, at one point towards the end, he says, you know, the mountains don't care whether you live or die, right? So you have this, this nature as this brutal place where you can die, um, a place that's indifferent. 
And I think it was the, the episode right after it where nature is a place of healing and hope and transformation. And then we have um, experiences where nature is not just about what's outside of us, but but being in nature then somehow transforms who we are as individuals or transforms us on the inside. So the interior landscape uh, mirrors in some way or is affected by the exterior landscape. And what struck me is that that even though some of these things are completely contradictory, right, that they're all true. I guess I hadn't, as a producer, expected to start painting such a complex or complicated picture of nature. Yeah, I think it's interesting because when we were first really thinking about the show, I was kind of thinking there were, okay, there's going to be a lot of adventure stories mm-hmm. and uh, people in peril and... I'm really glad that we've been able to find so many different voices who are coming forward with um, different pictures of nature. And I think that makes it more nuanced and, and more subtle. Yeah. And, in, and you know, in the um, fly fishing episode, um, the woman who goes fly fishing as part of a breast cancer recovery retreat, her name's Tanya Hansen. And she says that we are a part of nature. And I think that for me, that was this takeaway that you know, whether or not the mountains don't care or whether we experience healing in nature or, or whatever the other experiences that we have in nature, that at the end of the day, we are a part of it. So the other thing, um, and we touched on this briefly before we listened to the Greg Lay excerpt, was that we found that preparing you less actually <laughs> paradoxically <laughs> led to better interviews. And, you know, I have to say, as, as somebody who works, you know, we both work professionally at a public radio station this goes pretty much against <laughs> most conventional wisdom for how interviews work. So what is it like to go into these interviews where, you know, we tell you the bare minimum, uh, okay, this person's going to talk about this thing, go. It was kind of terrifying at first, or it was the first few times that we did it. I was always wondering if I would have enough you know, enough fodder to keep it going. You know, oh no, what if I just ask the first question and then it stops? But it never does. I would say that it's gotten easier um, to go in so unprepared. And it really does just force you to think on your feet and really take the place of a listener because a listener doesn't have the bullet points of what they should ask this person. So to be really put in that position, I think makes it more candid. Um, you really have to establish a relationship with the guest um, or the storyteller so that they feel comfortable enough to open up to you. Well, and that's what I noticed is that is that you then really do become this proxy for the listener. When I listen to the shows, I feel like I'm I'm listening with you or learning with you. And I think the other thing is also learning to trust that the other person has a story to tell that they that they can deliver. Yeah. I think another part of it is knowing that the person has more to say, and this might sound a little weird, but even more than just the story. They're not going to tell you, okay, this happened, then this happened next, and then it was over. That they're going to go in a little bit more and explore how it felt or what it meant, um, or even just reflect on how funny it was in some of our more humorous episodes. Well, you know, I thought you were going to say that they have more to say than they thought they did. Well, that too. Right? Because, I mean, how (laughs) often do you really get to sit down with somebody who is 100% 
focused on what you are saying in that moment. Yeah, I think that's something that is very much missing in an age where everything seems so rapid fire, you know, on to the next thing. But giving our storytellers time to reflect draws it out. I mean, that's one of the things that you learn when you're first learning to interview is that sometimes if you just sit there in silence and you don't say anything, it forces, you know, people want to fill that gap. Um, They don't want to sit there in silence either, that they'll come forward. Well, and I think that you create an environment where there is room for that kind of candor and that kind of honesty. And I think room also for just spontaneous moments. And so I wanted to play a little bit of this interview from the episode with Christina Lee, the woman who ran from New York to San Francisco solo. Um, There was just this great little moment in that interview. Let's take a listen. When did you think to yourself, well, I'm going to run across America then? So I was sitting in my room alone as usual, and I was thinking, you know, I want to have a bucket list. And I had written a few things, and they were pretty cliche. It was like, learn to play the guitar, or learn to speak Spanish, or uh, what else did I have on there? Oh, I wanted to learn to barbecue really well, so I wouldn't be embarrassed about barbecuing. And then when I was on Facebook... such a weird thing to be embarrassed about, by the way, (laughs) to be embarrassed about how you barbecue. I know, but you have to understand I'm the only girl in a in a group of all guys. My family, I only have brothers. And so they would always go to the football games and they would barbecue. And I was like, I want to know how to do that. Like, I want to have that skill. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so I was on Facebook and I was looking at the stuff that I had written down. And that very moment, I don't know, fate, whatever you want to call it, Someone on my newsfeed had shared a a post from someone who was running across the country to raise money for a lung cancer charity. And I looked at that and I looked at my list and I was like, oh, man, this like, oh, gosh, I got to step up my game. So a little snippet there from episode nine of Human Nature. <laughs> and we are gearing up for our second season now. And the person we want to hear the most from is you. We want to have stories that our listeners submitted so that in the episode you can hear that it came from someone who's a fan of the podcast. And you have a sense of what we go for. We want to hear something where something real happened to you. We want to hear about something that changed you in some way where there's uh, either a change that you experienced internally or some sort of twist in the story. And you can get in touch through our website, humannaturepodcast.org. You can also tweet at us at Human Nature Show. We're also on Facebook. And we also want to say a big thanks to everybody who's listened so far. You're the reason we make the show. And actually, the biggest boost for our show comes from listeners just sharing what they've heard with their friends. You know, you are our best PR person. I'm Caroline Ballard. And I'm Micah Schweitzer. Anna Rader is our digital producer. Our theme song is by Caught a Ghost. And a little interesting story there, uh, if you want to tell Micah about how that came about. Okay, so we were looking for theme music for the show, and there was this concert. And I thought, oh, I'll go check this out. And this band, Caught a Ghost, had a song called Human Nature, and it just seemed too good to be true. And so a big thanks to Caught a Ghost for letting us use the music for the theme song you should check out uh, all their music they're really quite a great band out of la human nature is a production of wyoming public media it's human.